What's up everyone and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now where we cover how the environment, our society and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host Mike DeCebedo and this week we are going to talk about votes and violation. Votes because in Japan a story broke that the country's largest shareholder services provider miscounted investor votes at the annual general meetings of nearly 1,000 listed companies. And violation because GE announced it received what is called a Wells Notice from the SEC recommending civil action be brought against the company for allegedly violating securities law. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. In the investing world, you have these things called annual general meetings or AGMs. AGMs are like the gathering of the tree ends in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's right. I said it. And at these meetings, company shareholders gather to hear the annual reports read aloud by the directors of their company. And more importantly, to hear the results of shareholder votes on current issues such as appointments to the company's board of directors, executive compensation, dividend payments, new environmental policies, and things like that. And like with most things that require votes, for AGMs to work, people have to trust that their votes will be counted and honored, which is why the news out of Japan two weeks ago was so wild. On Thursday, September 24th, Sumitomo Matsui Trust Bank, or SMTB, the largest provider of shareholder services, said that it miscounted investor votes at the annual general meetings of nearly 1,000 listed companies. Now, this could either be because of procedural error, as Sumitomo claims, or due to a widespread systemic issue. We do not yet know. So to help me understand what is going on, I spoke to one of our governance analysts out of Japan, Moeko Porter who gave me the details around this ongoing situation. So I think this is a scandal that caught everybody off guard. It began with an activist shareholder proposal at Toshiba Corporation. After the annual general meeting, 3D Investment, which submitted the proposal, discovered that not all of their votes had been counted. They had mailed one of their voting forms on July 27th, three days before the voting deadline, and sent another on July 28th. The problem is that the votes submitted on the 28th were counted properly, while those submitted on the 27th were not. So we had this miscount happen, and there was this investigation that was launched, and it was found that Japan Stockholders Data Service, or JAST for short, which is a joint venture between SMTB and Mutsuo Trust and Banking, had this flawed and outdated system for counting votes. Here's how it kind of goes down in Japan. During proxy season, a massive amount of shareholder votes are sent by investors to these shareholder service companies like JAST, that help coordinate votes for thousands of companies in Japan. To deal with this workload, JAST has a special agreement with the post office to receive voting cards a day before they would usually get them. But they would still get the certification of delivery on the day that the mail would have normally been delivered. And oddly, it's when the certification of delivery card is received, not the voting card, that is important because if the certification of delivery is received after the cutoff date that the vote can be counted, even if the counters already have the voting card, the vote is not counted. This is called forward processing and it makes absolutely zero sense to me. I don't know why you don't just count the card when you get it. I don't know. 
Anyway, the problem is, it seems this cumbersome and aging system has resulted in millions of votes not being counted. But it's hard for us to say, okay, those votes haven't been counted, but let's retroactively look back and see what the results of these elections basically should have been. Because even though Just has been doing the system for 20 years, its policy is only to maintain data for the last three months. Basically, we have no records prior to May 2020. But we can look at what has happened since May 2020, and we have some idea of how things might have changed if some of the votes were appropriately counted. According to SMTB and Mizuho Trust, no proposals would have been overturned based on the uncounted votes. SMTB reported an average change of only 0.3%, but they noted that there were two proposals where the approval rating dropped by up to 16%, and Mizuho Trust also reported three proposals that would have gained approval between 5 and 10%. Now 5%, 10%, and 60% seem like kind of small numbers, but in the governance game, those numbers are quite significant. For example, if we look at the current directors of companies in the U.S. that are under our coverage, the median vote result for director elections is around 98%. In other words, half of these directors get at least 98% of the votes cast for their election to the board. So a break from the median can have a significant effect on how a company's management is perceived, even if it's a slight break. Low support for management proposals can reveal shareholder dissent, while on the other hand, popular support for shareholder proposals has proven influential in pressuring management toward greater engagement and governance reforms. These problems have forced Joss to announce that it is going to discontinue the program, so this might be solved. But like me, you might be thinking, well, A, is Japan an abnormal system of corporate governance, and B, why should I care? Well, first of all, relax. And second of all, sadly, no, Japan is not completely out of the norm. After I talked with Meiko, I started thinking about how other countries vote their proxies. And to figure that out, I called upon my colleague Harlan Tufford, who is something of a Gandalf, when it comes to voting proxies. That's right, two Lord of the Rings references today. What of it? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I mean, the, I think the reality is that while there are you know, differences in details from market to market, globally we're dealing with you know, a very analog system, one that was designed for paper ballots sent through the mail that's been shoehorned into the digital age uh, without being appropriately updated and strengthened to take into account the benefits and risks from electronic voting. Okay, so Japan is not the only place this is happening. And the reason you should care about that, about the fact that we are still using an analog system in a digital world, is because, as Harlan told me, the proxy system is like the plumbing system of our public markets. It's vast, it's important, and there are a lot of possible fault lines in it if it isn't properly updated and fixed and monitored. So we're plumbing through the proxy voting system, the how, a, how a vote is actually cast. If you, if you look at a, a given shareholder meeting, on the one hand, you have the investor, and on the other end, you have the company. So far, so good, right? But, but between them, you have this web of potential interactions between numerous different actors. You have brokers, banks, custodians, securities depositors, transfer agents, proxy solicitors, proxy advisors. And, and every one of these interactions represents a potential point of failure in accurately registering a timely, valid vote. 
And that failure can cause the voting system that helps our public markets be accountable to shareholders to kind of break down. And so the SEC, for example, has tried to convene roundtables on this and fix the issues by going towards a digital system. But like the plumbing system you tried to install when during quarantine, you thought it'd be really cool to fix up your house or whatever, but then you kind of gave up halfway through, the system that the SEC and other countries have tried to build is kind of poorly done and kind of half thought out. Well, well, the thing is, it, like, it is digitalized now. The problem is it's just not digitalized very well. We've still got these massive problems, these massive fault lines in the system where a, a given shareholder's vote gets divorced from their proxy ballot, where the instructions that a shareholder uh, gives to uh, their, their asset manager, to the proxy advisor, whoever's casting the vote, gets lost along the way. All of these, these issues, the paper trail becomes impossible to follow because it's, it's not a clear chain. It's, it's a web, a tangled web. Yeah, this isn't like the U.S. election system where voter fraud is very rare, voter issues are very rare, mail-in ballots are generally a good thing. With proxy votes, these things can get complex. There's a bunch of different issues on the ballot, there's a bunch of different ways to vote for those issues, and there's a bunch of different parties involved in coordinating votes and voting together and all these kind of, you know, webs, as Harlan said. And like I said, it's a problem because if we want to keep with the plumbing analogy, if the plumbing fails then waste can build up pretty quickly and have a deleterious effect on the running of our financial markets. I think when you, when you become a shareholder of a company, you get this basket of rights. Uh, and the specific rights will differ depending on the legal framework surrounding the company exchange rules. Um, but, but those rights are important ones, and, and they can be an enormous driver uh, or potential driver of change in the boardroom. And, and examples like like what we've seen here at, at Sumitomo, where where directors where shareholders lose their their voice, their vote. These these are significant failures in this system. Um, and, and Sumitomo, it's a massive example, but it's not the first, right? If you think back in two thousand and eight. Yahoo had to do a recount of its director elections because of errors in the same system. And, and the discrepancy between the initially reported vote and the recount vote, they, they were massive. And when votes don't mash up, you have a situation where these companies have taken money from shareholders to run their business, to grow, to progress in society. And yet those rights that they've given their shareholders are not being upheld. And that can cause serious long-term issues. General Electric is in trouble again. After dealing with spin-offs, layoffs, business troubles galore, the company received a warning of a civil enforcement action called a Wells Notice from the SEC over its legacy insurance business. The SEC and Justice Department have been investigating GE for about two years after the company disclosed large write-downs tied to its insurance business and its power business. Each investigative body has been concerned about how the company recognized revenue from long-term service contracts. Okay, so what to remember with this story is accounting is a bit of a mess. You just have to know that accounting is more often art than science. Revenue recognition can happen before money is received. There's this thing called goodwill, which is basically value from your company brand that you enter in as an asset on your balance sheet. And write-downs can happen for assets the company once said were really valuable, but due to market forces are actually not that valuable. Market forces like, say, COVID. COVID. 
So after I read the GE story, I thought it might be useful to see if more companies were going to be going through this after the pandemic hit. So to understand this, I called up my colleague Agnes Grunfeld, who developed and runs this model for us that looks at bankruptcies and the possibility of aggressive accounting practices at companies. And I asked her about whether COVID could create more GEs in the coming years. Yes and no. All right. So, um... GE is a somewhat unusual case. You said, oh, okay, this is about the legacy insurance industry uh, that has been spun off. Well, first of all, they also had, I'm going to check my notes, in, at the end of 2018, um, a very large impairment for their power business. So it's not the only thing. And of course, they're in aviation also. So that's impacted by COVID and they pretty recently announced large layoffs. So there might be more of it here. I'm not saying there will be, but it's not one thing with GE and it hasn't been. They've been taking unusual expenses every year. And as I like to say, if you take it every year, it's not unusual. Even if each time it's something a little bit different. Okay, so maybe the GE situation isn't that comparable with companies right now that are dealing with COVID and will eventually likely have to write things down because of the market forces that have been caused by COVID making impairments more long-term than they were assumed in 2020. So there are some, there are certain industries I can think about that might have this issue like airlines, uh, hotels and restaurants, the tourist industry, because they've been hit pretty hard by COVID and, and they might be saying, okay, we're going to get through this. But in a year, they might say, actually, we need to impair some assets. This problem was bigger than we realized. So is there anything you should pay attention to for these industries that might signal that that's eventually going to happen and there could be some larger pain coming? Um, so I looked at Carnival lines. So they have a November fiscal year that was a little early for COVID, so nothing was recognized there. But then in the first quarter, they took a, an initial goodwill impairment of 731 million. Next quarter, there was almost twice as much, like 1.4 billion goodwill impairment. Okay, that doesn't sound like a lot for this company because their assets are 50 billion. All right, so now we're at, you know, a little over 2 billion of the 50 billion. Not a big deal. But at the same time, they raised uh, a lot of money in debt. The equity was shrinking, not by that much, but their debt almost doubled. They went from a 53% debt to equity ratio to 100% debt to equity ratio, and their revenues are going to be in the toilet. And in those situations, it's not a predictor of bankruptcy, but it's a road well-worn by companies that have eventually gone through the bankruptcy process. And that's it for the week. I want to thank Moiko, Harlan, and Agnes for joining me to discuss this week's news with an ESG twist. And I want to thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review us. It always helps, especially during COVID when I am forever stuck at home with not much else to think about. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again and talk to you next week.
The MSCI ESG Research podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.